Well, good morning again. Glad you guys are here with us, and uh, hopefully the study of the Lord's Prayer is uh, impacting you and how you think about prayer. I know it is for me. It's been good to think through what it is we pray and how we should pray it and who we pray it to. So this is the fifth message in our series on the Lord's Prayer. If you missed any of those, I encourage you to go and check those out online and uh, benefit from those. And uh, then I'm going to speak this morning, and then Phil will come back and wrap it up with the next two uh, messages. Uh, can you guys finish this phrase for me? I don't get mad, I get even. You guys are bad people. Man. No, that's a common phrase because it's uh, an experience that we have. Um, I'm not a big uh, literature guy, but I've heard of this story. It's called The Cask of Amontillado, I think is how you would say it. And it's by Edgar Allan Poe. If you know anything about Edgar Allan Poe, he was a really dark guy. Had some really dark stories that he told. But in this particular one, a cask is like a, um, a barrel that you would put wine or um, water in. But this particular story is about wine, and the wine is called Amontillado. It's a short story uh, published in 1846 in an unnamed Italian city at carnival time. And it's about a man who takes revenge on who he considers to be an enemy. And the way that he did it, uh, the main character is a, a noble one. A nobleman, and uh, he's got this enemy that he wants to get even with. And he wants to get even with him in a way that no one else finds out, but this guy will know that it was him who did it. And so on this night of carnival, uh, the guy that's his enemy has been drinking quite a bit. And so what he does is he lures him into these, uh, into the cellar, a dungeon, kind of a catacomb area. And he tells him he's got this wine that is extra special, and he wants them to taste it. And so he lures them down into this uh, tunnel-like catacomb, and as they're walking, uh, the guy's uh, got a cough and uh, is kind of concerned about that, and he gives them some more wine to keep them drunk, and he just keeps talking to them. And the farther they go down in, the less aware, really, his enemy is of what's going on. And then they arrive down in an area where there's kind of this uh, niche kind of carved out, and what happens is he ends up getting that guy there and he chains him to the wall. And his plan is this. He's put some bricks and mortar off to the side. And if we go to that next slide there, uh, Kyle, he's chained them to the wall. You can see he's got his uh, tools right there along with his sword. But he's chained them to the wall and he's starting to build a wall to brick his enemy into this catacomb area. And so as that's happening, his enemy that's chained there tries to think of different ways to talk him out of it. He's screaming, and the guy's just so much enjoying this. This is the revenge that he had thought about. So that his friend knows who it is that's getting this revenge. And so he walls it all the way up, and then he takes some bones that were around in there and puts it in front of it so nobody will know. And then at the end of the story, he says this, it's been 50 years and no one has found out yet. May he rest in peace. So let me ask you a question this morning. Who do you want to put behind that wall? Anybody in your life that's hurt you or done something to you or that you've not been able to resolve conflict with and you've given in to bitterness and vengeance? And if you could, and no one would know about it, you might put them behind a wall as well. Well, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. What we call is Jesus teaching us how to pray. And his approach to solving problems is much different, as you might imagine. In Matthew chapter 6, that's the first book of the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the end of the Old Testament 
the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are what we call the Gospels. They're the accounts of Jesus' life and his teachings. And we're in Matthew chapter 6. And we've just read it together, but let me just remind you, Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he gives us personal needs that we should ask for. We should ask, give us today our daily bread, and then forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's interesting, too, that when he gets to the personal needs, Jesus doesn't say, hey, what do you guys want to pray about? He says, let me teach you what you should pray for, even as it relates to your personal needs. But last week we looked at, we pray for provision. This morning we're going to look at pardon, and then next week Phil will look at protection. So let's look at this idea, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, depending on your translation, your word here might be debts, it might be transgressions, it might be sins. And we're going to see as we go throughout this morning why those are all interchangeable. A debt is something that you owe or it's committing something against someone. And so what we're talking about is pardon. We pray for pardon. Pardon is forgiveness, as we're going to see, as it relates to our relationship with God, but as it relates to our relationship with other people. And this is the only request with a catch, and it is a significant catch to it. The only commentary at the end of the prayer, go down to verse 14, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's what, We're good with that, right? But if you do not forgive others of their sins... Your father will not forgive your sins. It's like, wow, okay. What does that mean? Certainly significant. That Jesus seems to be saying, if I'm not willing to forgive others when they wrong me, then he's not going to forgive me because I know I've wronged God. So we've got to understand this this morning. And so what I would like to do is look at the nature of forgiveness in a broad way. And then at the end, come back to what Jesus means here in the Lord's Prayer. So let's ask five questions about the nature of forgiveness. Five questions. The first one, why does this even matter? Why does forgiveness matter? Why did Jesus mention this in his prayer? So we just said a debt is something that you owe. What do we owe God? Well, he's our creator. He's the king of the universe. We owe him our obedience. That's what we owe God. So we have a debt to God that we need to obey him, but we fall short of that every single day. And falling short of that is what the Bible calls sin. And so our sin earns something different. It earns death, not just physical death, but a spiritual death. It affects our relationship. So when it uses the word debt here, a debt is something owed. That will be very helpful for us. But as it relates to each other, people owe us too when they hurt us. And we'll look more closely at that. And that's a question you've been thinking about. Jesus said, every day pray for the bread that you need. And it's interesting that he follows us up with, then every day pray about forgiveness as well. We need daily pardon from God and we need to daily give pardon to other people. So forgiveness matters because it is impossible to reconcile relationships. When there's a break in a relationship, it's impossible to reconcile the relationship Without forgiveness. Forgiveness asked for and forgiveness granted. And that's what's at the heart of God's kingdom. God is a forgiving God. And his people are to be forgiving people. But it also affects our witness. You guys might remember or or, or know that Jesus said, The world who doesn't know me is going to know that you are my disciples by what? 
by your love. By your love, by our selflessness with each other, by our kindness, by our care, and by our forgiveness. So forgiveness matters because it affects our testimony to the world as well. And it definitely affects us. Unforgiveness is like a poison to our soul. Someone has said it's the poison that we drink hoping that others will die. And so we could say it this way. The more you hold on to a grudge, the more the grudge holds on to you. And I'm sure every one of us have experienced that. We've been the one holding the grudge and we've been the one on the other side. And the more we hold on to that grudge, the more it holds on to us. And so it brings us to this question, who hurt you and what do they owe you? Who hurt you and what do they owe you? If you're struggling to forgive someone, I would encourage you to take out a piece of paper and make a list and answer this question. Who hurt me? And what do they owe me? For some of you, you feel like your mom and dad owe you a childhood. They weren't good parents. And your childhood was not a good experience. Maybe that some of you think that a pastor or a church leader owes you an apology. They hurt you and they never apologize for it. Maybe you have a boss who you feel owes you respect. Maybe parents, you think your kids owe you a thank you. Maybe you have an ex-fiance who owes you your ring back. And if you're a Lions fan, you think they owe you a Super Bowl. Is it too soon? All right, I apologize. Maybe you feel like there's a teacher or a coach who just ruined your reputation when they just yelled at you and embarrassed you in front of the team. Maybe you have a friend who owes you money. Every person that has hurt us, we feel like they owe us something. There's a debt that's there. So that's why forgiveness matters. But what is forgiveness? We've used the word a couple times. We've tied it to this idea of a debt that's owed. I want to point you to a ministry called Peacemaker Ministries. They've got some very good resources. Uh, One on families resolving everyday conflicts, just more of a less technical version of the first book. Um, They have some for kids and teenagers as well, but some of what I'm going to share about forgiveness uh, going forward comes from uh, their materials. So first, let's talk about what forgiveness is not. It's not a feeling, like so much of the Christian life. If we follow our feelings, we don't get to where God wants us to go. So we've got to acknowledge that, that forgiveness isn't just a feeling. I still have to forgive even if I don't feel like it. Um, It's not forgetting. This is a big one that we hear. Am I supposed to try to forgive and forget? In fact, I'm going to show you later that there's some things about when somebody hurts us that we need to remember. But it's not the same as forgetting. It's not saying I'm never, ever going to think about this again. Now, we need to deal with what we do with when we think about it. But it's not the same as forgetting. It's not excusing either. Sometimes we're afraid to forgive because what am I saying? Like, it's just okay. It doesn't matter. So it's not that either. And it's not the removal of consequences. There's a verse in Proverbs 19 that says, Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. So when we forgive someone, it doesn't mean all of the consequences go away. If you have a babysitter that you hire and she does a really poor job and you come home and your kids are out in the yard and they've been there all night and they haven't been fed or cleaned, didn't put them to bed or anything like that, your babysitter asks for forgiveness. You can forgive, but it doesn't mean you have to hire her again. Right? It's not the same. As removal of consequences. At work, if you get caught stealing, you can ask for forgiveness, but it doesn't mean that you get your job back. Or 
someone abuses a child, hopefully they come to a point where they're genuinely sorry for that. And they can be forgiven, but it doesn't mean that they don't go to jail. So forgiveness is not the removal of consequences either. And lastly, it's not the same thing as trust. Forgiveness can be granted, but it doesn't mean you trust the person automatically. Trust can, has to be earned, and trust has to be given. So if you're part of a life group or a D group, discipleship group, and you don't keep confidentiality there, someone shares a request or a struggle, and you go and tell everybody about that, that can be forgiven, but it doesn't mean that we have to trust that person automatically. But trust can be earned back. So if that's what forgiveness is not, what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is letting things go. It's releasing from an obligation, and that gets us closer to, basically it's canceling a debt. People do owe you something when they hurt you. Forgiveness is saying, I'm going to cancel that debt, and I'm going to bestow favor freely and unconditionally on you. So I think the easiest way to think about it is that canceling of the debt. Some, and uh, in the uh, peacemaker material they talk about forgiveness could be described as a decision to make four promises so when somebody comes and they say hey will you forgive me and we say yes i will forgive you you're essentially making these four promises as a summary of some of the biblical principles number one i will not dwell on this incident now dwelling on the incident is different than remembering it so when it comes to mind though i'm not going to just camp right there and think about it over and over and over again so we've got to change direction And a good way to do that is to have a verse, maybe even like right out of the Lord's Prayer. God, help me to forgive my debtors. But I'm not going to dwell on it. Secondly, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. And this is really big because a lot of times what happens is people come and they ask for forgiveness and we say, I forgive you. And next week when they do something similar or something else that hurts us, we say, I knew it wasn't real. And you bring up the incident again. And you just keep using that same incident against them. And a lot of times in an argument like that, you'll hear them say, but I asked you to forgive me and you did. Why are you bringing it up again? Forgiveness is a promise to say, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Relationships work so much better when we do it God's way. Forgiveness asked for, forgiveness granted. I'm not bringing up that particular incident against to use it against you. All right. Thirdly, I'm not going to talk to others about this incident. So I'm not going to forgive you, but then go tell all my friends or my family or other people about it. It stays between us. And lastly, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our relationship. So this gets to the question, am I really canceling the debt? If the debt is canceled, then what I'm saying is I'm not going to let that incident hinder our relationship. Now, there's some caveats to that, and we won't take time to go into all of those. Again, the relationship is just like trust. It has to be earned. It has to be developed. You might have to start the relationship over. And depending on what the hurt is, it may never be exactly the same. But what we are saying is we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I forgive, I'm going to do my best not to let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So that's what forgiveness is not. And basically, forgiveness is canceling a debt, and it's making these four promises. So that brings up the question, when should I forgive someone? When should I forgive them? Is that something I just do on my own? Do I have to wait for them to come and ask for it? How does all that work? And those are excellent questions. The short answer is, we forgive when they come and ask, or when they repent of the sin that they've committed. And we see this in Matthew 18 and verse 15. 
Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses. Now, confession is just saying the same thing that God says. So you go to a friend or go to a believer and you say, hey, this is what you did to me. And that was wrong. And they listen to you and they say, you know, you're right. I have sinned against you. Will you forgive me? So that's when we forgive. And if you've done that, you win your brother back. The relationship is reconciled because forgiveness is supposed to do something. It's supposed to reconcile relationships. So you say, well, man, what if they don't ask for it? What if they don't repent of that sin? Should I forgive them anyway? And this can be a challenging question to answer. But I would encourage you to think about forgiveness in two different stages. The first is to have an attitude of forgiveness. An attitude. In your heart, you deal with God and you be willing to forgive them if they're to come and ask. Have an attitude of forgiveness. And this does a couple of things for us in that time before they come and ask or before that uh, relationship can be reconciled. Or if they never come, this still will help you in your life. Number one, it protects against revenge and bitterness. It will help us not to come up with an elaborate plan to brick in our enemy behind a wall. It will protect against revenge and bitterness. I came across this definition of bitterness in one of the commentaries. Smoldering resentment, a broody, grudge-filled attitude, a spirit of irritability that keeps a person in perpetual animosity, making them sour and venomous. You guys ever know somebody to be that bitter? Has anybody ever known you to be that bitter? What a description. Sour and venomous. And see what bitterness does, it allows whatever took place to affect not only the past, but it affects the present and the future. And we could illustrate this with a beach ball. So if you've got a flat beach ball, this represented bitterness. What happens is, the longer that we're bitter and the more we desire to take revenge, then it grows. What an arm, huh? She played shortstop for a lot of years. No, but it grows. It gets bigger. And what starts off maybe is just something that happened and now I'm bitter. The longer it goes, the bigger it grows. And the harder it seems that we're going to be able to ever do that. Now, another thing that can happen is that in our minds we do great editing. And as we remember the account or we think about that person and we dwell on it, We can twist and distort what happened and we actually can reshape it and make it into something that's similar, but not really what happened. We could take something like a beach ball and maybe make it into a globe. So it's not what really happened, but we've made it into something similar. But we can even go farther and we could reshape it into something that's nothing like the beach ball. Totally different. So now we're bitter and angry about something that years later we've seen this happen. When you finally resolve it, you start talking. You're like, man, I made this into something in my mind that wasn't even close to what we started out with. There's a third thing that can happen, and this is why we need to have this attitude of forgiveness, and that's that it multiplies. So I have a friend who talks behind my back, and I get hurt, and I get angry about it. Then I start thinking about it. You know know what? Every time we go out, I pay or I offer to pay. They never offer to pay. And so it multiplies. And then I start thinking, I go, you know what? 
How come they never take the first step and ask me what's wrong or ask for forgiveness? I always have to be the one that initiates things. And so we need to take this step of having an attitude of forgiveness to protect ourselves against bitterness and revenge. Because it can grow. It can become something that it never was in the first place and it can multiply. And this is what we express to God. This is us working with God. Now, you might get to a point where you tell the other person, I'm willing to forgive you. I just want you to know that whether you want it or not. But this is primarily working with God and saying, God, I'm willing to forgive them. And it's unconditional. It's not I'm going to forgive them if they do this and if they do this, if they come and ask. I'm willing to forgive them right now. And I want to be loving and merciful. So the second stage then is where you grant forgiveness. You grant forgiveness. This is when they come and ask for it. So this is what we're going to say to the person who's offended us. And we're looking for repentance and asking for forgiveness on their part so the relationship can be reconciled. In Matthew 18, it said there, if they hear it, they listen and they confess, then what? You've won back your brother. What an incredible thing. I believe this is modeled for us by God. God came up with a plan that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us, right? So that we could have forgiveness of sins. But is it automatically applied to everybody? No, it says whoever repents and believes, confesses Jesus as Lord, that's when we receive his forgiveness. And the same is true in our relationships. The relationship can't be reconciled unless forgiveness is asked for and forgiveness is given. And this can be both an event and a process. So what I mean by that is, even when uh, forgiveness is asked for and then it's granted, it still can be a process every day to keep those four promises. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to talk to other people. I'm not going to let it hinder our relationship. So it may take time. And it can take time for us to get to the point where we're willing to grant forgiveness. But forgiveness... Has been modeled for us by God. He's made it available and we have to ask for it. And once we ask for it, that's it. He cancels our debt and he gives it to us. Uh, this guy, Chris Bronze, I went to seminary with. He wrote a book called Unpacking Forgiveness. And in it, he gave us a really good picture of how this could work. And he talked about having a box. If you think about forgiveness. He said, take that box. And what I would encourage you to do, that list that you made about uh, the person who hurt you and what they owe you, start by tearing up that list. Talking to God an attitude that says, I'm going to grant forgiveness. I'm willing to do that. So take that. And then we're going to read a verse later where Jesus said, you got to put your heart into this. This has to be real and genuine. So take a box. Put that forgiveness that you're willing to offer them. Put it in that box. Get it all wrapped up with a bow. And then you take that box and you set it right outside their house on their porch. And it's there. And you let them know that it's there. So that whenever they're ready to open up that box and ask you for forgiveness, you're ready to grant it. And in the meantime, you've had no bitterness, no plans for revenge. You've adopted the attitude that God has towards us. And so you leave it there. And they may never open that box. They may never come and ask you for forgiveness. But in the meantime, you will have the attitude that honors God. You'll not be vengeful. You'll not be bitter. But when they open that box, then it's a yes. I forgive you. 
and the relationship can be reconciled. And you say, man, I don't know. They're the guilty one. What about guilt? And what about blame? And what about these conditions that I want? God says, choose an attitude of forgiveness. Be ready and willing to forgive, which is to cancel their debt. Whatever it is you think they owe you. Forgiveness is saying, you don't necessarily deserve it, but I'm going to cancel your debt. You're like, okay, I think I get this. That sounds really hard, but let me ask you a question. How many times do you want me to do that? This is where we should feel good that we're just like the disciples. Because Peter asked the same question. Matthew 18, where we were, Jesus is talking about this. And Peter, always the one to speak up, said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Like, I'm thinking seven is pretty generous, right? Think about the people who have hurt you or done something over and over again. Seven times can seem like a lot of times, isn't it? So I think Peter thought he was being pretty generous. How many times should I do this? Seven? And what does Jesus say? No. Seven times, Jesus, not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I'm not very good at math. Somebody tell me, one of the kids tell me, what's seven times 70? Yeah, Carter. 490. So how many of you guys have reached 490 times yet forgiving someone? That is a lot of times. I think Peter probably was like, oh, are you kidding me? 490. Now, I don't think Jesus meant a literal 490. I think Jesus was giving you a number that was like, so really, as often as they ask, unrepeatedly, or repeatedly, with no limits, anytime someone comes and asks you to forgive, then you should forgive. Any of you struggle with that, like I do? To forgive unlimited and repeatedly. Maybe have a unfaithful spouse and it broke your heart. It crushed you the first time that they cheated on you. But now it's been two or three times. And each time they've come back, said they're genuine and they ask for forgiveness. Now remember, forgiveness isn't the same as excusing. It's not the same as trust. It's not the same as no consequences. But the forgiving, not being bitter, not holding the grudge. We're to give that as many times as they ask. Maybe you have a, a roommate or maybe you're at college. You have a, somebody lives in your dorm with you and they just never do what they say they're going to do. They don't get their part of the rent in. They don't help clean up. Anytime you ask them something, you know they're not telling the truth. But each time they come back and they say, I know, I know, I know, but I'm, will you forgive me? How many times do we keep saying, I forgive you? Jesus said, like 490 plus, without limits, and repeatedly. So that brings us to our last question, because right now you might be kind of frustrated, like, this is hard, and I'm not sure I want to pray this prayer the way Jesus is teaching us. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And it all hinges on this last question. Why? Why would I do that? Uh, someone asked me this morning what I was speaking on. I started to talk about it a little bit. And they said, that's so hard. How do you forgive someone who has hurt you so deeply? So the last question is why? Why should we forgive? Well, we're going to continue on in Matthew 18. This is a follow-up to Peter's question. 
Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. So Jesus said, let me tell you a little story to show you why you should forgive. Because this is what my kingdom, what my community, my people are like. This is the heart of it. So let me tell you this story. About a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was uh, brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Depending on your translation, that's different. But millions of dollars. Dr. Uh, David Turner uh, said that this is 193,000 years worth of wages for this guy. So what do you make in a year? Multiply that times 193,000. So when we say millions of dollars, it's unfathomable. This isn't something he can really repay. And so verse 25 says he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now that sounds so strange to us. But debt was very different in uh, this time period and in the Roman world. You guys uh, know what this number is? Any guesses? It's, it is 34 trillion, but it's how many times I've had to forgive Pastor Phil <laughs> since I've been at North Park. No, just kidding. Just kidding. It is 34 trillion, but that's an, a round number of what our national debt is. All right? So just to give you an idea, in our culture, debt can really be significant, but for most of us, it's kind of an annoyance. We're not expecting that we or our kids are going to be sold and put into jail. Unless usually there's some fraud involved, right? So we go back to verse 25. He couldn't pay his debt, so he would be sold along with his wife and his children. So things were very different back then. In the ancient world, if you weren't unable to pay your debt, you could be put in prison for that. So primarily the prisons weren't filled with criminals. They were filled with debtors. And those who couldn't pay their debts either went in, but also, or they did go in, but then their family, some of them went to jail, but oftentimes they went to work as slaves to try to earn the money to be able to get their family member out of prison. Uh, some estimate that during this time, 80 to 90% of the people would have been involved in slavery of some sorts. Not all of them because of debts. The Roman world the Roman government really institutionalized slavery as kind of their workforce. But 80 to 90 percent, not all of them because of debt, but many of them that way. And so debt in Jesus' day was no joke. It wasn't just an annoyance. It wasn't this like, oh, our government owes $34 trillion and I owe this much and this much. It was serious that if you were unable to pay, you couldn't just apply for bankruptcy. But you could be put in prison. Your family could be put in prison or enslaved. It was, it caused great pain and it was a tragedy to families. So that's the situation this guy's in. So the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Could he pay it all? Was he ever going to be able to pay all that? $193,000 years worth of wages? No, he wasn't. But he said, be patient and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity and he released him. And forgave his debt. He forgave the debt. He gave him pardon from his debt. So what do you think of that guy who forgave the debt? Man, really generous king. What do you think about the guy who was forgiven? How lucky is he? 
His whole situation has changed. So what does he do? Next verse. He then went out to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. It's estimated that this was about four months worth of wages compared to the 193,000 years worth of wages. So he has a guy who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Next verse. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, right? So this guy is asking him for the same thing that he got. And I will pay it. Can he pay four months worth of wages? It would be really hard, but maybe, right? He's got a better chance of paying that than the millions of of dollars. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, what are you going to think about this guy? How do you feel about what's going on? You're probably upset, just like his friends, his servants were. Look at the next verse. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. So he went from having pity on him and releasing him from his debt to calling him an evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Wow. So to be a follower of Jesus is to have a heart and a life transformed in such a way that you are willing to offer to other people what God has offered to you. Because the truth is no one deserves our forgiveness. They do owe it. But we didn't deserve it either. So we don't forgive people because they deserve it. We forgive because we are forgiven. So our offering of forgiveness, sometimes it has something to do with how we feel about the other person. But really, the most important factor in whether we forgive or not is ourselves. And the fact that we have been forgiven. It's forgiven people who forgive. And forgiven people who have the power to forgive. We see this in Colossians chapter 3, a letter written by Paul back to the church of Colossae. We studied, studied that last year. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. How many of you guys have faults? I've got plenty. Make allowance for my faults, would you please? Let's make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. This word is offend is the same idea. Who sins against you, who owes you something. Remember we talked about forgetting. Paul says, hey, don't forget the whole thing. Actually remember something about it when someone offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. That's the most important thing to remember. So you don't have to forget that someone hurt you. You can remember that. Remember that they hurt you. But what they've done to you has no comparison to what we had done to God. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Don't forget, but remember. So if we go back to Matthew, wrap that up. The angry king then sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Is he going to be able to pay that debt? He's not. So he's going to be tortured until his death. Then Jesus gives us the point. 
That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. How? From your heart. Not doing it like our kids do when we make them apologize, right? Sorry. Get over there and say, sorry. Right? No, from the heart. Meaning it. Wow. You mean if I'm unwilling to forgive others, God's not going to forgive me? Does that sound familiar? It should. Because that's what we read over in Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our debts. Notice it says, as we forgive. It's assumed that people who are followers of Christ will be forgiving people. Forgive us as we've forgiven our debtors. And then you remember the, the catch to it? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this isn't about earning our salvation in any way. We have a debt of sin that we can't pay. Couldn't possibly be good enough. Couldn't possibly keep all of God's standards. It's not about earning our salvation. But it's about how do we maintain a relationship with our Father once we've come to know Him. Because if we aren't willing to forgive others, then we're acting like we truly don't know Him. Those who are forgiven, Jesus is teaching us, must forgive. Or we are showing, perhaps, that we are unable to receive His forgiveness. Because if we are able to receive His forgiveness, that changes us on the inside. And I remember that my debt that I owed God is way bigger than any debt that anyone owes me or that I think they owe me because of what they've done to me. And so this is hard. So this is why Jesus says, pray this. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's my prayer this morning that this helps us to be people and a church who are committed to forgiving each other as God has forgiven us. Eagerly, generously, abundantly and completely and i believe this can revolutionize our walk with god our spiritual journey our relationships with each other and a witness to the world around us who does not know how to forgive and reconcile relationships this speaks to a relationship with god are you a forgiven person by god as we mentioned, God had a plan in Jesus to make it possible for you to have forgiveness of your sins, to be adopted into his family. But it only comes when you are willing to admit that you are unable to pay the debt. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus and repent of your sins. But as believers, we only have that continued fellowship with God when we're willing to confess our sins and not try to hide from them, not try to run from them. Don't let our time of asking for forgiveness go too long. We keep that fellowship open with Him when we're willing to forgive, ask God to forgive our sins. But then, we then are willing to only give other people what He has already given us. So we're back to that question. Who's hurt you? And what do you think they owe you? Who do you want to put behind that wall right now? This morning, would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, whatever it is that I feel that they owe me, it isn't more than I owed you. And you were willing to cancel my debt, so I'm going to cancel their debt. I'm going to take on an attitude of forgiveness. I'm going to put that in a box. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to go set it outside their door. And if they never open it, 
I can still have peace. I won't be filled with bitterness and revenge. But if they are willing to open it, I'll be so glad to offer forgiveness and our relationship can be reconciled. So Jesus said, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray. God, we're overwhelmed by the gift that you have given to us. We know that we don't deserve it in any way. And there was no hope for us to possibly work out our own salvation. So we pause this morning just to say thank you. Would you take the truth of that and penetrate our hearts? And I pray especially today for anyone who's struggling with bitterness, vengeance, resentment. God, would you help them to be able to release that, to take on an attitude of forgiveness. Pray for broken relationships. I pray that people can take steps towards offering forgiveness, that forgiveness can be asked for, that that relationship can be reconciled so that we represent that we have a forgiving God. And for anybody who's stuck and doesn't know what to do or how to get to that point, God, I pray that they'll seek out one of the pastors or elders here or reach out to someone else to help them, to help mediate and to help move them towards that. Because, God, we want you to hear our prayers. We need so desperately for you to forgive us So help us not to hold on and be unforgiving when you've given us so much. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.